The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, welcome. This is Eric Savitz. I'm Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. This is Tech Trader on Barron's Live. Thanks for being with us. I'd like to welcome our guest today, who is Blair Levin, who is a tech analyst, a tech policy analyst at New Street Research. Uh, Blair has been involved or following tech uh, policy and regulation for a very long time, uh, going back to um, a period when he worked at the FCC as chief of staff under Reed Hunt, right, in the uh, mid-90s. Blair, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. So I want to talk, uh, we have lots of uh, lots of things to talk about. I think th- what I'd like to start with is this, uh, uh, something that I wrote about this past weekend in the magazine, which I talked to you about, um, which is this uh, law, this social media law uh, that was passed in Texas uh, by the Texas legislature, signed by the governor, uh, that would, uh, if, if were, were it to be uh, fully implemented, and we'll talk about why that hasn't happened just yet, um, could could put a big monkey wrench uh, in in the uh, the business model of uh, the average social media company. Blair, tell us a little bit about what the law actually would do, and then we'll get into the mechanics of what's happened so far. Sure. So back last early last fall, the Texas legislature uh, decided that one of the most important pressing problems for Texas uh, was people being. Um, uh, essentially deplatformed or in other, in other ways discriminated against by social media platforms. So they passed a law which said that if you feel that you've been discriminated against, essentially, you can tell the Texas Attorney General and they can sue the social media platform. So from a business model perspective, if the law was upheld, you would the social media platforms would have a choice between essentially allowing everything on the platform or um, facing an infinite number of lawsuits. And as, as I think you explained, and as uh, we've explained in our analysis, that's a very problematic thing. People think that social media platforms are engaging in content moderation today because of political beliefs. That is not true. They're doing it because the advertisers and the customers want it to be a curated experience. You don't want to be on a social media platform with lots of neo-Nazis or misogynists or um, people selling drugs that don't work or a thousand other things. And so they have chosen content moderation as a way of creating the experience that they want to create. Um, the Texas law, if implemented, would make it very difficult for them to do that. Right. So, so essentially, this law basically says um, you can't uh, that you, uh, if you operate a, a social media platform with more than, I think, 50 million uh, uh, users, users right. which that would cover, of course, almost all the major uh, platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, nah. LinkedIn, so on, yeah. uh, Reddit. Uh, there's a lot of them. Um, it, that if you operate one of those, uh, you can't take a, a, an, in a and, and, and a, one of your users posts something that you think, uh, either uh, might be objectionable or 
in other some other way be offensive or based on your own judgment you you can't take it down like if you take it down you're liable to you, you would be liable and could be sued for yeah. doing it and I think there are other things. I mean, if you had an algorithm which put it way in the background, you could be sued. There's there's a variety of different reasons why someone can bring that lawsuit. Right. So now, at one level, this seems a little bit of a conflict with uh, this federal rule called Section 230, uh, which is, of course, is part of the, uh, I guess, part of the Communications Decency Act. Uh, yes. um, and that provision basically gives social media uh, platforms or internet businesses more generally the ability to a uh, police their platforms yes. uh, right it allows them to do that um, and it protects them from litigation uh, for their the the actions of their users so someone posts something uh, uh, of questionable uh, what's questionable in one way, one way or another on on you know Twitter or Facebook or whatever uh they don't they're not liable for uh, for uh, damages from that but it also gives them the right to take it down so it seems like there's a little bit of conflict here between what the texas law is trying to do and what section 230 um provides no i i i think you could make that argument you could also argue that se section 230 and I, and I think this was the intent at the time and i was involved not so much in that provision but in the whole development of the 1996 act and then in the implementation of it um uh what they're really trying to do and remember the internet was so 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 much smaller in those days was just to say if you're posting if your basic business model is you're hosting other people's materials you're not responsible for libel or defamation you don't have to fact check everything and so it was a way of making the platforms um allowing them to grow we could have a very long argument about whether that's a good idea yeah. now and all that. But um, I do think that the sp certainly the spirit of the Texas law is in conflict um, with the, uh, the spirit of Section 230. And of course, one of the very interesting and I think important uh, policy dynamics of this moment is what do we want states to do and what do we want national laws to do? And this applies to privacy, it applies to net neutrality, it applies to a series of things. And, you know, one of, I think, the themes of this moment is that policy is being set far more in Austin, Sacramento, and Brussels than it is in, the, in, than it is in Washington, D.C. Right, right. Now, one thing about the Texas law, uh, so there, there have been some, uh, there have been a series of uh, court uh, actions related to the law. So we had uh, we had a, a, a federal district court uh, move to uh, Saturday. Um, I guess they they temporarily enjoined uh, the law uh, initially, and then a circuit court uh, voted. I think two to one uh, this is my recollection mm -hmm. to uh, to stay the injunction, which effectively made the law back in effect once again. Mm -hmm. And then a coalition of technology companies, including the ones that are affected by this, appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court had a really interesting uh, way of handling this, right? So the court, well, why don't you talk about it? So what, what the court did was it overturned the Fifth Circuit. And so it essentially reinstated the district court injunction. So the Texas law is now not in effect. But the way they did it was on a five to four vote with the majority five not issuing an opinion as to why they did what they did. And I should also note the Fifth Circuit 
didn't issue an opinion. Just a <laughs> one-liner, right? Just a one yeah, just a one-liner with, with the action, but no discussion of why they were doing what they were doing. So we, we can, and many of us have, speculated about what the court meant, but we don't really know what the Fifth Circuit is thinking. We don't know what the majority of the Supreme Court is thinking. What we do know is that there were four dissenters, one, Alana Kagan, who's considered a liberal, um, but who is very opposed to the shadow docket. I think she was dissenting on very procedural grounds relating to the fact that the case was not fully briefed and argued and all that. But there, there were three others who are very, very influential and I think important, Alito, Gorsuch, and uh, Thomas, who made uh, issued a six-page decision as to why they would have allowed the Texas law to proceed at this time. And since that's the only thing we know, some of us focus on that. And if you look at that, I think, uh, and you take it seriously, I'm not sure you should, but if you take it seriously, it suggests a very problematic path for tech companies going forward, as well as for business businesses generally in terms of regulation. Right. So that that dissent, um, which, you know, people can read, it's uh, it's on the Supreme Court website. You can read the dissent. The dissent basically, uh, among other things, says, hey, precedent in this area is, is old, predates the Internet. And we don't know. Maybe we'll maybe this is OK. And and uh, as I think you pointed out in some of your research notes last week, um, uh, there is a possibility that uh, if you got you know, uh, uh, Justice Kagan's uh, uh, dissent, uh, notwithstanding, and she, of course, did not actually sign the dissent. She it was a separate, uh, no, no vote on the um, on, on on the situation. But if if you had the, uh, you know, even two other of the conservative justices uh, who had voted uh, in in the affirmative this time uh, support uh, this bill, uh, it's called HB twenty. Um, it would get upheld, and that would really be terrible for. Uh, and and I presume, now of course, this is a Texas state law. the uh, The interesting question is, uh, well, if Texas passed, if this law was to pass uh, muster in Texas, uh, you you would assume that you would probably see a little flurry of comparable litigation uh, of, of legislation in other states. That's right. There's already a law that's similar or slightly different passed in Florida and the 11th Circuit um, basically uh, overturned that law. So, you know, you had this interesting competition between the governor in Texas and the governor of, of Florida as who can be, you know, uh, a bigger thorn in the side of big tech. Right. But we'll, we'll leave those, those politics aside. It's, it's very clear that the Supreme Court will eventually have to rule on these laws. But, you know, again, one of the interesting questions is to what extent should states be making these laws, um, industry, I'm quite certain, uh, would favor a national law. But um, one of the things the dissent seemed to indicate was that states should feel perfectly free to do these things. Right. And that the federal court should be very reluctant to do what the dissenters refer to as have to pre-clear whether or not they can proceed with their regulatory desires. So in terms of uh, that, you know, this issue you mentioned on uh, state versus federal uh, action, uh, one area where that's uh, that's been an ongoing course, uh, uh, subject of discussion is around privacy law. Yes. So the state of California, uh, where I am now sitting, um, 
has passed uh, but via ballot proposition some pretty tough uh, laws on on mm -hmm. uh, privacy and what companies can do with personal information. One of which I think hasn't yet actually been implemented, right? As the one from last I think year. That's right. Yeah. Um, and and so uh, so so the interesting question there is whether there are any prospects to get federal privacy legislation that would supersede um, the various uh, and varying uh, state laws covering the same territory. Yeah, there was just a, a, a new draft uh, released on Capitol Hill, but I have to say it's very late in the session. Um, if you think about what Congress is gonna do before they all go away for the midterms, if they haven't already done so psychologically, okay. um, you have you know gun issues, you have inflation, you have a number of other things. Um, I, I just don't know that they'll get to it. Congress seems to be pretty dysfunctional. And the filibuster, you know, by itself means that it's got to be fairly non-controversial to pass. And I'm just not sure that any privacy bill will be that way. Uh, and I think the Republicans largely have the attitude that they're going to win both the House and the Senate. And so why pass anything? If they want to pass something, why don't, you know, why not wait until they're totally in control right. So uh, or of the Congress? So I, I don't give it good odds, but um, I do think there is an emerging consensus that these things are better off done on a national level, or their industry certainly feels that way. Right. Now, whether, whether the national level is a floor or a ceiling is an interesting <laughs> whether it's a private right. right of action, lots of different issues. Uh, but what we're seeing emerge is that the states are much more active and much faster to act than the federal government. So, okay, so let's talk about uh, so some of the, the bills that uh, are before Congress that are trying to do various things to either tighten antitrust law or do other ways of trying to put some strictures on, um, on the behavior of large tech. One that seems particularly uh, further along than some of the others is a, is a bill that would make it more difficult for companies to favor their own products in uh, search uh, or inside their own applications. Could, could you talk a little bit about that? Who, who's supporting it? And what are the prospects for that this might actually happen? Yeah, so this is uh, largely being driven by Senator Klobuchar, who has focused a lot of her time and attention on, uh, on antitrust. Uh, she has gotten um, some significant Republican support. It got, came out of the committee on a 16 to 6 vote. And since the committee is basically divided equally, that shows you that a number of Republicans joined it. Mm -hmm. um, there is an awful lot of debate about what the terms mean with companies like Amazon. Well, there is no company like Amazon with Amazon, for example, saying, uh, if we can't preference our own stuff, can we, does Amazon Prime still make sense? Because essentially we're favoring our own delivery service. Um, Google search is saying, can we still have the same boxes which show things which customers seem to really like? Apple kind of, you know, do certain, can we can we preload certain things that customers like? There's right. a lot of debate about the meaning of it. Um, I, 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 my, my basic view is number one, I don't think it passes, but that is kind of a generic view. I don't think anything passes <laughs> like you know, next week or this week, I should say, we're going to have the start of the January 6th hearings in an already very polarized environment. It's, 
you know, um, I, I have my own views on the subject, but it's not going to cause everyone to sing Kumbaya and come together on, on various issues. You know, time is, is very short. However, if it does pass, I think what we saw over in Europe with their privacy bill, which right. has, has now been around for several years, as well as some other legislation that they will be passing soon on competition and on, um, on constraining social media, um, it's going to take a long time to work out what the meaning of it is. I, I, I might note, I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story about the, the 1996 Act. Mm -hmm. um, the primary, there were a number of things that were done, and that was a very large bill. It passed almost unanimously in both the House and the Senate. It was almost 20 years in the making. Um, and uh, uh, it, it started before the breakup and of AT&T and then went beyond. But I'll never forget, we were visiting, uh, was with the chairman of the FCC visiting a senator who literally said uh, to my boss, Reed Hunt, well, Reed, here's what we did. We put in everything that one side wanted, and then we put in everything the other side wanted. <laughs> Good luck. But at least we had an understanding that we at the FCC had to come up with a common understanding, a common framework for implementing the various divisions between the local phone companies and the long distance companies right. and the traditional phone companies and the new competitors and all, we had that obligation to make it rational. What's going to happen, I think, on these uh, with these things is uh, it could be that the FTC and the uh, and the DOJ get to now bring lots of cases they might not have brought otherwise and and have a common understanding, but it really will be the courts. Uh, and there were certainly court reviews of what we did, but fundamentally we were in charge. Here, it's going to be the courts that are fundamentally in charge. And the district courts are going to be all over the place on the meaning of certain things. And what you see in Washington, and this is a pattern that's repeated constantly, is a company like Amazon or Alphabet will argue, oh my God, you can't pass this legislation because it's a disaster and it will mean we have to do all these horrible things who will then march into court. And of course they will say, the bill didn't mean that. <laughs> and we were just doing that. As, we said those things as part of lobbying. But if you look at the real words and you look at the intent and you look at what this other person said, right. we should still be able to do prime. So it'll be a long time, I think, before we know the real meaning. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that occurred to me uh, as I've been thinking about this situation is, um, you know, we have a long history in the retailing uh, business of house brands, right? Safeway right. has brands, um, you know, any Costco shopper knows like Costco has brands and Sears has always had brands and, and so on. And, um, and, um, and there's never, that doesn't, you know, stop uh, Safeway from putting their, you know, house brand soda on the end cap of an aisle or those kinds of things. Um, and, and, but this seems to be the digital equivalent of that. Right? Um, is it really that different? No, I think I, I think it's very similar. And the uh, I, I think there is a question that if somebody has such significant market power, does having their own brands, you know, if 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 Whole Foods had ninety percent of the grocery store market share, putting their own brands is very different than having you know five percent or whatever uh, small percentage they right. have. Now, by the way, one of the interesting things, and I think, um, I don't know whether to use the word crazy or insane, um, <laughs> but it, but but I do mean odd. I, I will definitely use the word odd. 
the Texas legislature had a definition of who was covered, which includes at least 10 companies, right? And then it goes on to say, and we're passing this law because they are common carriers who are dominant. I know of no antitrust prudence that defines a market where there are 10 dominant players. That like- Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk about that language, right? Common carrier. When I think about right. com, the phrase common carrier, and this is like right in your wheel, wheel, wheelhouse. Right, right. When you think about common carriers, you think about uh, like the phone company or maybe the cable company or like someone who, the notion of a common carrier is that everyone needs to be able to use it equally, right? I mean, isn't that right. the general notion? And it's supposed to be non-discriminatory in how it physically delivers things. The first common carrier in the United States, uh, this goes back to Roman law 2000 years ago, English law 500 years ago. But the first uh, in the United States, it was the Pacific, it was the telegraph. And Congress defined it as a common carrier, borrowing from, from England, and said it had to deliver messages in the order in which it got them. It couldn't preference messages. But then it was applied to railroads and it was applied to trucks and it was applied to taxi services. It's always involved kind of the physical transport on a non-discriminatory basis. Mm -hmm. That is not what common carriers do. And in fact, there was a case, uh, an important case in, the, in questioning whether ISPs, the internet service providers should be right. treated as common carriers. And, and Justice Scalia basically said, well, of course they should. This is what they do. Thomas and the majority said no because the FCC had said no because, and this is an important point, in addition, the ISPs do other things, right? So, so the question is, if you're a common carrier, but you're also doing other things, should you be treated that way? That's a different, different thing. But what, Scal what Scalia basically said was, look, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. And what the Texas legislature is essentially saying is, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, but... I mean, sorry, if it walks like a dog and talks like a dog, but we want to call it a duck, we're going to call it a duck. And, and the three Republican justices seem to be perfectly fine with that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you could, you could, you could call Walmart. And, and, and the logic was they're common carriers because they're dominant. Well, does that mean Walmart's a common carrier? <laughs> Yeah, they need to carry all products at all times. Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's an interesting problem. So I want to I want to touch on something else. Uh, so uh, one of the things, uh, like heading as the new administration uh, took office, uh, now uh, almost a couple of years ago, um, and uh, began putting together their like regulatory team, um, there was significant anticipation that that. Uh, this would be an era of aggressive enforcement, particularly in antitrust. Uh, there was a, a particular discomfort uh, with among some of the technology companies with the appointment of Lena Khan to run uh, the Federal Trade Commission. Um, uh, Chair Khan, um, among other things, wrote a famously wrote a law review article that was extremely critical of Amazon, um, and uh, and. And so far, um, you know, she's talked a lot about uh, sort of procedures for changing the way they evaluate transactions and those sort of things. But it doesn't, at least to my eye, it doesn't feel like we've seen this, uh, like some momentous shift in the tone uh, or, or actions of, of the commission or really 
any of the federal uh, regulatory agencies. And I wonder if that's a, a fair analysis and how you would evaluate, um, you know, Chairman Consen, she, she's taken over. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think in a funny way, we're still in spring training. Um, <laughs> the real season hasn't started. And part of the reason is she just got the third Democratic vote like last month. So um, she really hasn't had the opportunity to do those things which are not bipartisan. Right. So, so there was, to be clear, there was an open seat. There were, right, right. There was a 2-2 yeah. split. So she could not do certain things that, that clearly she would want to do. And there have right. already and been that, some. And, that's, and, that's just, and that was just filled. Um, yeah, yeah, right. right. A, a second thing, I, I think if her chief of staff or chief PR person were here, the way they would answer this, and it's, I think, factually true, is um, there are lots of deals that have not occurred because people don't want to come and bring it forward. So we we are essentially doing Damocles sword kind of regulation uh, that is preventing big deals from happening. And I, right. I suspect that, that there's there is some truth to that. There has been a slowdown in certain big deals. However, right. you know, we're we're gonna see. I I think a very important deal is the Microsoft Activision deal, which I think will get through, but I think there'll be conditions which set the rules for the metaverse in a very interesting way. But Khan, as, as well as the head of the DOJ Antitrust Division, Cantor, have been, they have been talking about how they're going to restructure kind of the guidelines. Right. The problem that I think they face is that um, these are very long-term uh, initiatives. You, you know, you look at the history of the AT&T litigation, the IBM litigation, right. um, things like that. They are multiple administrations. Um, and I think the politics of the time, we, we forget that the, the, the president himself, uh, as well as Khan and Cantor, have criticized 40 years of so-called Borkian antitrust, named after Professor Bob Bork, who, by the way, I took antitrust with. <laughs> <laughs> and the single most embarrassing moment in my law school career was when I asked him a question and he showed me how much smarter he was than me. I'm not saying he was right. I'm just saying he was smarter than me. Um, uh, but in any event, uh, that that existed in a time of general deregulation, starting really under Carter, mm -hmm. uh, but then the 12 years of Republican rules and even under Clinton. So there was a lot of time. It's not clear to me which way, whether we're going to go back and forth. I think there is some agreement among Republicans that in some cases there should be greater antitrust, but it's not clear to me that those initiatives survive if, if a Republican is elected in 2024, because so much of the energy about big tech, the anti-big tech initiatives you see in Florida and Texas seem totally focused on, we need more conservative voices um, on social media, as opposed to the Amazon antitrust problem or the Apple antitrust problem, uh, which I think the, the Amazon one in particular is one that Khan is working on. And I would not be surprised to see over time efforts by either the DOJ or the FTC to break up some of the big tech companies. So, you know, one, one particular thing that's on a lot of people's mind uh, that has been prominent in the news is, uh, is Elon uh, Musk's uh, yes. attempt kind of, yeah. I guess he's still trying um, to buy Twitter. Um, that that deal has been complicated for all kinds of reasons that have nothing directly to do with regulation. But they, uh, it is true that uh, 
uh, from a regulatory point of view, there doesn't seem to be any obstacles. And I, I'm, I'm curious whether you're surprised about that. I mean, there's no obvious antitrust issue here, I don't think. I mean, Elon owns a, you know, runs a car company and a, you know, in a spaceship company and a, you know, a company that drills holes in the ground and stuff like yeah, that. Right. But like right. he doesn't have a social media company. So right. are you surprised that there hasn't been any sort of regulatory attempt to, you know, get in Elon's way here, particularly given so there are some regulatory a, a issues. relationship with the White yeah. House? Yeah, there, there, there are some regulatory issues regarding the SEC. That's a different thing. But right. those, I think, are unlikely to block the deal. The FTC had the ability to do what's called make a second request for documents. And right. that could have delayed the deal long enough. Uh, and it's a non-appealable order. It could have delayed the deal long enough that it could not, it, it wouldn't have gone through. The FTC chose not to uh, have a second request, which I think most people think totally the right decision. But it was interesting. It's very different than the logic of, say, Ron DeSantis saying, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tweeted out something pro-gun regulation. Therefore, we're not going to fund, in a completely unrelated thing, we're not going to fund yeah. their state, right? So there was not this political tit for tat. Uh, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm not surprised that the FTC chose the path of wisdom there and, and, and just moved on. Uh, but it's interesting the way, and, and the, the, the question is, if he is successful in buying Twitter and doing what he says he wants to do and has more conservative voices, Will that mean that the conservative support for antitrust simply goes away because they were not really concerned about competition in the market. They were concerned about conservative voices on social media. Interesting. So when you think about, you know, there's a lot of uh, moving parts to the sort of tech regulatory uh, uh, landscape, right? Uh, as, as we've yes. been talking about, there are state issues, federal issues, regulatory issues, litigation of various kinds and then um and then efforts for, um in and european regulation if if you thought about like where the greatest dangers lie in the say you know medium and longer term what what's your sense of where the biggest risks are for these companies so from a, you know if you think of it from an investor point of view where do i really need to pay attention uh if i want to anticipate where something might happen yeah. So from an investor point of view, I would say Europe, because I think the Europeans, for lots of different reasons, uh, can move much faster. There, there's less political dead weight. There's, you know, for the Europeans to do as their efforts to do this in the U.S., to have the tech companies essentially pay the telcos for bandwidth, which is an effort that's going on there as well as here. There's I, I think it's much easier because the big tech folks are not European companies. They have big telco companies. So I, I would be very concerned about Europe. I would be concerned about the, here I'd be concerned about the states, um, California, uh, Texas having different kind of points of view, but um, state regulation can do various things. But I, I still think there is some antitrust. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're very uh, idiosyncratic, that is to say, with Apple, it's a different issue than it is with Amazon, and it's a different right. issue than it is with Google. Interestingly, Facebook, in a way, is the most disliked company in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., but the risk to it is probably less than people realize. Uh, there may be some transparency kinds of rules that, that are a threat to them, whereas Apple is probably the most liked company 
but I think they have some very particular antitrust risks because of their very successful integration of, of products. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a real mixed bag, but uh, I would be focused on, on Europe more than I would on uh, the Capitol building in Washington, DC. <laughs> it's interesting. So in terms of Apple, are you really talking mostly about the, the app store question yeah. or other things? Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> about, you, know, you can easily see, for example, um, Microsoft, which is, by the way, I think done an extraordinarily good job, very different than they did in the 90s, of working with government regulators in the United States and elsewhere. Um, and so when they announced the Activision deal, they clearly signaled, we're, you know, we're willing to live with various conditions. The interesting thing is, because they don't really have an app store, they could make all kinds of agreements about the App Store, which would not bind Apple or Android Alphabet, but would have the political effect of saying, these are very practical, simple things. Companies should, should agree to them. And I think pave the way uh, for a variety of things that don't hurt Microsoft, but make it harder for Apple, Alphabet, and uh, Facebook or Meta to exploit the metaverse. Okay. So I want to ask you one last thing. We're running out of time, but I'm curious about your thinking on, um, there was a piece of uh, litigation uh, that has uh, uh, concerning advertising technology that particularly is focused from the state AGs that was yes. uh, really focused on on Meta and, and um, Alphabet. And uh, that goes right to the heart of their business models. Um, you know, they, uh, they are advertising driven businesses largely. Yes. Uh, do you, how much risk is there, do you think that that eventual, that case has got a long way to go, but like that, that, that case likely results in, in um, an outcome that would significantly affect their advertising businesses? Yeah, I, I th thank you for bringing that up. I think that is a very important and big case to watch. I'm going to have a slightly contrarian view of it, however, focusing from an investor perspective. The result of that case, there is some potential damages, but I think the big thing is, do you essentially force a breakup of Alphabet into various segments? Mm -hmm. And my sense, though I may be too influenced by what happened when AT&T broke up, is when you break up companies, you don't necessarily lower the value to consumers. You lower the value to the CEOs because they're no longer king of a big empire. But you have all these different entities that can then serve a lot of other people and are not tightly integrated. And there was a great article that I read early on in my FCC career in the New Yorker entitled The Whale and the Sharks. And it compared what happened to IBM after the antitrust case went away without hurting them and AT&T, which actually broke up. And how, if you were an AT&T shareholder, you did much better than the IBM shareholder. That's so history is not always a perfect predictor, but I'm not sure that if you broke meta into separate pieces or you broke alphabet into separate pieces from an investor perspective, the result would be worse. In fact, I might argue it, it could be better. But as you said, there's lots of details that are not public and that litigation has a long way to go. Great. And so we're, uh, we're past time. I'm going to have to leave it there. Blair, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great Thank you so much. Great to see you. Uh, Thank you for, for being with us. Thanks to all of our uh, viewers for being with us. Um, a couple of quick announcements. Um, one tomorrow on uh, Barron's Live, uh, Market Watch reporter uh, Alessandra Melito will uh, be talking to 
the economist Lawrence uh, Kozlikoff about uh, social security and the future of social security. Um, um, I'm excited to uh, tell you about uh, Barron's Investing in Tech, a virtual conference we're having on June 23rd. We're going to have a, a, an array of great speakers, Arvind Krishna, the CEO of IBM, John Doerr from Kleiner Perkins, Kelly Stackelberg, who's the CFO of um, Zoom, and lots of other great speakers. Uh, our uh, uh, producer is going to drop a link to it in the chat. You can also find it online. Uh, please join us for that as well. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Be well. Have a great week and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.